Welcome to The End Game, a podcast about the positive aspects of aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I'm your host, Don Auction. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get on with today's show. Our featured guest today created a modeling agency whose models are exclusively women 50 years old or older. But first, an amusing look at the voice of prophecy and its surprising sources by essayist Susie Kaufman. Voice of the Prophet A friend in high school told me that his little brother, 11 or 12 years old, sat bolt upright in bed one night and said, the populace is exploding into bushels of wheat. I've always thought the boy must have been visited by a prophetic voice, a deep call echoing out from a mountaintop, choosing to speak through him. Why else would someone normally fixated on Sandy Koufax say something biblical like that? He was probably preparing for his bar mitzvah and had heard about Joseph the dreamer, how he predicted the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. Still, it was an unexpected turn of phrase for a boy whose previous experience of famine had been limited to finding the cupboard bare of Malamars. In my experience, a sure sign of a prophetic visitation is the uncanny sensation that the words coming out of your mouth must have been said by someone else first. That's how I felt when I recently heard myself say, mortality is the mother of compassion. It seems that I had known this all along, but had somehow forgotten it. I ran to the computer to see if that was really mine, or if I had inadvertently lifted it from Emerson or Thomas Merton by way of Frank Zappa. I did not find it. Where did it come from? I knew I could not have developed that idea out of whole cloth. It was as if it were in the public domain, available to anyone who found it rummaging in the back of the coat closet. I knew it was true because it didn't surprise me. Like all wisdom teachings, it winked conspiratorially at me as if to say, we both know this is an old joke. Feel free to use it. But I have to say that receiving a complete sentence that sounds like you would expect to read it on a scrap of white paper after gorging yourself on shrimp lo mein, that was something. It got my attention. But what did it mean? What did I mean with that sentence flew like a bird of paradise unannounced out of my mouth and into the world? Both the word mortality and the word compassion tickle the soul. You don't hear either of these words the way you hear the words pillow or toothpaste. Just drop mortality like a stone into the lake of association and it will ripple out to remind you of your mother, of Virginia who died recently of COVID-19, of yourself someday when the tremors in your hands decide to migrate to other parts of your body. Then toss compassion into the mix, and you will think back on your time working as a hospice chaplain to your encounter with dying and the way it changed you, working so hard 
to stretch yourself to meet Daniel and Regina and all the others on their way out. But that isn't it. It's something else. It's the discovery of the universal truth of mortality, not the specific losses I've known. It has something to do with impermanence, the lifespan of a rainbow or a firefly. The miracle of a rainbow fades while I'm looking at it. A firefly lights up in the night sky in early summer for a fraction of a second, then vanishes. If I go out to the back of the house after dark where the peonies luxuriate during the heat of the day, I see June bugs leaping for joy. I witness their dancing and chattering. But fireflies and peonies and mothers don't live forever. They die and are transformed into new life deep in the earth. At hospice, I had this gift for engaging with that transformation, for envisioning eternity. It was sometimes comforting to the patients. I believed absolutely and still do that death is not the end, and I was sometimes able to pass that along to the dying. But I was not yet filled with compassion for our impermanence. All of us, those deemed essential and those who go unnoticed, the universal undeniable fact of it, Mortality had not yet mothered compassion in me. It had not yet nursed me in the pathos of our common fate. It has taken the pandemic to deliver the milk of, human, of the human condition to my doorstep, reminding me of what I have always known but had long forgotten. You can read more by Susie Kaufman on her 70-something blog at suzykaufman.substack.com. I'm pleased to welcome our guest, Stephanie O'Dell. Stephanie is the founder of Celebrate the Gray, a modeling agency in the San Francisco Bay Area that represents only women 50 years old and above. She began her work life in human resources and customer service, left it to be a full-time mother, and years later began a new career as a fashion stylist. That experience, in turn, led her to start her modeling agency. Stephanie, welcome to The End Game. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, but before we talk about Celebrate the Gray, I'm curious to know more about what your experience was in returning to work after many years at home. Was that hard? Very hard. Um and it was one of this defining moments of, did I do what I was put on this earth to do already by raising two kind children? Uh, or is there more left for me? And it was scary because I didn't have any idea what I was passionate about anymore besides my friend, my family. And um, it, it was kind of daunting to even start the, the, the process of trying to figure that out. And, you know, was I asking too much, this is going to sound of the universe to say what's next for me. And I even had friends kind of say, why can't you be satisfied with what you have? 
Um, so it was hard. I think it's it's very hard to start that journey in your almost 50s. I was almost 50 at that point when I started trying to figure out what was I passionate about and what was next for me. Well, I think it's a journey that a lot of women encounter. Um, and and the questions you ask, I'm sure, are the very ones that they ask as well. You know, is, is being a mother enough? Yeah. Uh, but obviously you felt there was more. I just always felt there was more. Um, and I didn't know what that was. I just kind of had something internal that told me you're meant to do something bigger. Uh, not that raising kids isn't an amazing accomplishment. Uh, and it continues to be in a, probably the biggest joy of my life. Um, but and I think for men and women, we get put in these boxes. And it's hard to think outside that box and think outside our age and what's possible. And so I really had to seek out people to support my vision and even seek out people to help me figure out my vision. And and where that seems to have taken you is into being a fashion stylist. Was that a leap from nowhere or did that come from something you had in your background? No, it's, and it's interesting when I sat down and looked, I, I try, I lived in London in my early twenties, right out of college. And I um, went back and looked at some of my journals and one of the journals entries was trying to get into the fashion industry. And I was going to try to do it in London. And I'd forgotten I even had done that. Um, I, I was in retail for a long time in marketing and management. And then I was in HR and customer service and never really had a defining career, but loved helping found this. Um, when I got, a, I got a part-time job at Athleta in, in my early fifties and found just a love of helping women feel more comfortable in their bodies and learn how to dress their shape to be comfortable. And that being comfortable can lead to great confidence. Um, and so did that for a long time. I worked for Athleta for five years. Part-time, I worked for an online styling company for three years that was a startup. So I understood the what a startup looked like and what answering, seeing a problem and coming up with a solution looked like. So now doing the work I'm doing six years later, starting Celebrate the Gray as a blog, I realized everything I've done in my past really fits into helping me build this into a successful business that I'm super passionate about. Well, so were you ever a stylist on your own or did you start celebrate the blog from your, your part-time experiences? No, I, I started, I then went into having my own business uh, of doing styling okay. and started like most people do with something they love doing doing it for free for their friends and family and getting experience. Um, then doing it through Stitch Fix, which is an online styling site. I think I styled 6,000 women in three years. So I got to see the uh, desire to really learn how to dress your shape and feel good in your clothes is universal. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your um race, uh, your income level, it really is universal and that everybody kind of is searching for help in that. Um, and then as we age, at least when we're younger, we see visuals representing us. But then as we age, we stop seeing visuals that even represent us. So then it becomes even harder. And was that how the modeling came about? 
So that's how the celebrate the gray blog. Yeah, it, it it's so six years ago, my older clients, and these are clients in their 60s, 70s, 80s, said the fashion industry's forgotten me, I feel invisible. So I thought I was going to start a clothing line, uh, find a designer, partner with a designer and start a clothing line. And what I found, I met these amazing women. So I asked friends and family, can you refer women that I can talk to? And I just met these amazing women. And anytime I was out, I was talking to women. So I just started realizing it wasn't so much the clothes, it was the visuals and narratives were served as we age that don't include the 50 plus woman and man. Um, but it's why I had this moment of why do I not see these women represented in advertising this, you know, I met this amazing woman hiking on the top of the Sierra Buttes. I tell this story because it was one of my aha moment stories. And I asked her, how old are you? And she said, well, I'm 70, but my group thinks I'm in my fifties. And if they know I'm in my seventies, they'll put limitations on me. And I just went, that's what we do. We do that to people as they age. We start putting us in boxes and we do it. I have a 90 year old mother and I realized I'd never put limitations on her because I've never thought there's something she can't do. But I realized that we do do that to older people and to even, you know, once you start to age, people are like, oh, don't do that. You'll hurt yourself. So all of a sudden, then you start living your life based on these limitations that you're fed. So I saw these, met these women and I said to myself, why are these not the women that I'm seeing in advertising? Why are these not the women that I want to aspire to be and be inspired to age like? And had a, did a small photo shoot with six of the women that I'd interviewed. And then I saw the power of wearing modern clothing, having hair and makeup that is more modern and maybe not outdated that you've had for 30 years and you just don't know how to update your makeup or your hair because there's no visuals to represent it. And then I saw these women just start looking at themselves differently. And I thought, wouldn't this be amazing for other women to see and be inspired by? Um, at that time, got some local and national press, was part of the AARP Disrupt Aging Movement. And I had women start reaching out to me and say, I want to be part of what you're doing. And at that point, I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I know there's a problem. I know the age models that are used in marketing are outdated. I don't know what the solution is, but I know that that's a problem. Um, so that's kind of where I started and tried to find an agency to partner with. And nobody, everyone said, look, we've got our two gray-haired models. We're set. We don't need any more. And we don't really think it's a demographic that's one we want to tap into. Did the other side of the research of the undervalued, underrepresented baby boomer demographic that I'm sure you know, the $17 trillion market, you know, women make up 27% of the spending power and, and are undervalued and underrepresented. And then speaking to thousands of those women, we want to be represented. We want to be valued. We want to be shown of who we really are. So had all these things kind of come together, finally said, okay, I've just got to do it myself because nobody else is willing to do it and became a licensed agency two years ago. And how has that gone? Um, well, it was, it's fantastic um, in the sense that I found my purpose and passion in life for sure. And I feel like I'm building a vehicle of change and I'm be building this vehicle of um, community for women to feel empowered to 
be part of the narrative and the visuals of changing the face of aging for women. And so that feels amazing. And before COVID, we had started doing some fashion shoots and just seeing the intergenerational education that happened on photo shoots because decision makers on most shoots are younger and not always, but a lot of times. And all of a sudden they would walk in with a vision of what a 74 year old was going to look like and sound like. And they, that was rewritten for them. They met Lisa that was part of the photo shoot and they were wanted to talk to her. They talked to her for 45 minutes when they were supposed to talk to her for 10 minutes in a video clip. And I just saw how the re-education or the education and the rewriting of age models that happened on these shoots. So this is all happening and then COVID happened. And so it shut down the world. Um, but I spent the last 18 months building diversity in the brand, um, connecting to more women and having more conversations, joining a podcast, doing a podcast. So I'm bringing those stories of women doing aging differently and with possibilities to other women and really connecting with decision makers. And so have connected with casting agents and art directors and agencies. So definitely spent the time wisely and feel connected um, in the community and becoming a thought leader in the community or am a thought leader in the community and, and respected for the work that I've done for the past six years. And now I'm booking step back to booking um, shoots. So it's super exciting. Great. Great. I, I think it's so ironic that the marketing mentality, which, which started following baby boomers when they were young and the most numerous demographic missed the message and they have continued to follow the young while the baby boomers are still the most right. populous demographic. And it, it makes no sense. No. Uh, and we're, and the thing that's also changed is the longevity of those baby boomers. Right. We are going to be along around a lot longer than we used to. And, you know, that was one of the, the comments I would get back from brands saying, well, we want the lifetime of a consumer and the difference between a baby boomer and a Gen X or a millennial and loyalty to a brand is completely different. A baby boomer understands loyalty to a brand and um, will be loyal to a brand when they really engage with that consumer where a millennial is much more influencer driven and happy to jump all over the place with brands. So there's a lot of education that has to happen. Um, I think that brands, the brands that are really stepping up are small brands that are founded by men and women in their fifties. So they understand that power and they want to reach out to that consumer and engage them in an authentic way. And the big brands are not jumping on the bandwagon yet? Starting to. I've had conversations. Uh, Good. But when it comes to actually pulling the um, plug or pulling the handle to, to launch the campaign, they just can't quite do it. But I mean, I've had a conversation a year ago that now has come back and we're continuing to have the conversation. Um, you know, they also want, a lot of the bigger brands want immediate return on investment and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, 
So there's a lot of things that have to fall into place and a lot of faith that has to be put into the campaign. And, um, you know, where do we find the baby boomer is another question. Um, the, the mentality with bigger brands is, oh, we want to find her on TikTok or Instagram and, and, you know, traditional advertising isn't working anymore. And that TikTok and Instagram, there are baby boomers there, but not to the level that the return on investment is where they want it to be. So it's interesting. There's a lot of challenges to it, but um, I, I feel like it's starting to happen. I think it's, it's, uh, it's just fascinating because you're dealing with such a difficult thing. Uh, ageism is everywhere. And because it's everywhere, a lot of us don't even notice it. Um, and I think, I think it's a hard sell to convince people of something that they, that they can't even see because it's too obvious. Well, it's, yeah, it's like anything we, with so, um, ingrained in us, you, you know, when I talk to women and they talk about, I can't do that cause I'm 50 or I can't do that. I'm a 60. And I'll say to them, well, who's, who's saying that? Who's telling you that? Like, what do you believe? Um, and don't, Real, I mean, realize that a lot of those messaging we're getting is made in a marketing department at an office by people that don't even understand who we are. So the perception and the reality of aging isn't lining up right now. Um, so, but it's part of our responsibility too to be very vocal about who we are and what we're doing and how old we are and start rewriting those models. It's not just a one-sided problem. It's, it's two-sided. We buy into the age denial messaging. So thus it reinforces for brands. Well, that's what they want. They want to get rid of wrinkles. They want to get rid of their gray hair. They want their body to look like it did when they're 20. So if we start standing up and say, no, that's not what we want. And we're going to support those brands that understand what we want. Then it starts to mesh together. So as a man, I'm going to ask an ignorant question about fashion. You will bear with me, I hope. Um, is <laughs> no it, ignorant questions. It's always it, good to have a male-female conversation around this. So if you are a woman of a certain age um, and you want to be treated as a serious person, is the fashion sense to dress in what would be the equivalent of a miniskirt 40 years ago or I mean, to dress younger, or is it to do no. something that's that's more appropriate to your age, but not granny? Right. So that that's that evil word, right? Appropriate. Uh, um, and who determines what's appropriate? And I always go back to finding comfort if somebody's comfortable in it. I mean, there's women that wear miniskirts and are 50, 60, and they're super comfortable. And that's what they want to put out in the world. So it's really about your comfort level, but it's also about, you know, wearing color and in embracing your shape and understanding your shape and learning how to dress your shape and not being uh, afraid to go into a store because you don't see a visual that represents you. But those are hard things to do. Um, because you go into a store and you see the visuals of 20 and 30 somethings and it, you think immediately, oh, I cannot, this isn't a store for me. So if you went in and saw a visual of a woman that looked similar to you, then that gives you permission all of a sudden to go into that store. So it's not about appropriateness. It's about really understanding your shape and what you're comfortable in and not letting the stories 
that you have in your head or the stories we're fed in media dictate what you want to wear, if that makes sense. It, it makes sense. I mean, sense I think it's saying me. it's interesting. We had a conversation um, the other night with uh, about men's fashion. And I don't know if you've noticed men's fashion has become much more flamboyant and colorful. And some men are wearing skirts. And somebody made the comment that, oh, that's wrong. And I said, well, who's saying that's wrong? Like if the person's comfortable in it and they, I mean, poor men talk about fashion, men get really boxed into, you don't have much choice. And I said to this in this conversation, oh my God, how amazing that men now have the opportunity. They want to wear pink. They want to wear a lacy top or a, you know, a roughly top good on them. Like we've put men in a box fashion wise for years. And that's also dictated by somebody sitting in an office. So these influencers that are kind of changing that and allowing men to think differently about what how they want to present themselves, again, giving you permission because we're fed so much the limitations of what we can and can't do. Are you going to wear, start wearing pink maybe, Don? I, I was thinking about it, but I am so far now from fashion forward that it would be a tremendous leap. Um, but like I say, I'm very impressed with what you're doing because this whole business of of what's appropriate to your age is is so out of date. When you talk to um, brands, what is it that you tell them about the older generation? What is it that you think they should know? Well, it's it's unique to each brand. Um, you know, I'll, I'll use an example. I'm working with a brand, a new Intimates brand. And the sizing to me seems really off. And so to all of a sudden take a woman and put her into a extra large when she's been a medium all her life is that's something to think about. Mm. So, or it's, um, I was working with a swim brand and we were looking at the visuals great, but then the word modest was if you're looking for a modest bathing suit, and I said, modest is great. You can be modest at any age, but don't put modest on someone just because they're older. So each brand, you know, it's really working with the brand and looking, you know, or I'll go to a brand that has a great product. And I think if you included some older models and some testimonials from older models and, and an opportunity to have community where women could ask questions of each other, you're going to expand and your reach of your market. So each brand is different. Um, it may be visuals need to be updated. Um, we're working with a fashion line that had never used an older model in their um, visuals. And she started using one of the celebrate the gray models and she can't believe the feedback she's getting, you know, again, giving women permission by seeing someone that looks like them in clothes. Are your models um, people who have generally been models when they were younger? It is everything you can imagine. It's people that um, that are in their 70s that modeled for Sears Roebuck when they were a teenager and just want to go back to it. Um, it's somebody that's a model currently and with another agency, but feels like they're getting aged out and not getting jobs. It's um, women that have let their hair go gray during COVID. A lot of women let their hair go gray. So I do only represent gray haired models at this point. I am building an influencer side of the business that includes women that are not gray, 
but um, COVID was very kind to women, allowing them not to have to dye their hair for 18 months and actually see and feel what it is going to be like for them with gray hair. Um, so yeah, everything that you can imagine. I, I definitely spent the year and a half building size diversity, race diversity, and age diversity which in the, within the board. So I, I reach out to some people, but mostly I probably get about five to 10 requests a week of women wanting to join. Um, and part of being part of Celebrate the Gray is not just modeling. It's also, I, it's a collective of women. So I have resource with a lot of platforms and people, thought leaders. So there may be opportunities for someone that's starting a brand or somebody that is um, a business person that wants to get their message out that I can connect them. And I put a lot of women on podcasts. Um, I've connected them with interviewers that are looking for women that pivoted during COVID and started a new business. So it really is this community of empowerment when you join Celebrate the Gray. It's not just oh, you're going to model, but there's this opportunity to be poor, be an ambassador of change on many levels. So you're an influencer after all. <laughs> um, yeah, I think so. Um, I get a lot of, you know, one of the nicest things is the feedback I get from women thanking me for trying to make change for, for women to be more included. Uh, nobody wants to be excluded. I mean, that's one of the things that I find a common thread of everything I've done is always been about inclusion of looking at making sure that people aren't sitting on the outside wanting to be included, but don't know how to be included through my work at in customer service. I was PTA president. I looked at people that were, um, wanted to be in, in part of being seen, being visible, but didn't know how. So I like that I'm the connector for that and that I'm trying to make it easier for women to be seen and visible. That's great. So one last thought. Um, if you are before a brand and you have an opportunity to explain to them what it is about what they should know about our generation, what would you tell them? What don't they understand? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, a lot of it is the reality doesn't match the perception. Uh, and I'm always curious what people's perception of certain age looks like. And so changing that, I think it's super powerful. I do a visual presentation where I show pictures of women and then I ask them how old they think they are. And, you know, the fitness, the woman that's super fit that they think, oh, she must be in her fifties. No, she's 80. So helping rewrite that. But then also showing, talking about the narrative and talking about the conversations of women don't want to disappear. We don't, we, we don't have a choice not to buy into the age denial because we're not messaging because we're not given something else. But if you give us something else, you're empowering somebody. And that, you know, when you kind of translate it, if it's a younger group I'm talking to, if you translate it back to their mothers, their sisters, their aunts, and they look at the power that those women have in their lives. And then they realize how limiting the limitations they place on them, that that's being done to women every day, that they have control. They have some power in helping change that. And then by doing that, they are actually changing the narrative for themselves going forward. So 
kind of talking about the empowerment part of it, that they get to be part of changing things for themselves, really. That's good. I want, you know, I think all the work that we do, that you do, Dawn, and that I do, it's selfish, right? It's to make change for others, but it's also because we want to be visible and part of the fabric of society as we age. Don't you agree? Absolutely. And and I know I speak for a lot of people in our age bracket when I say we really appreciate the work you're doing to combat these ageist attitudes. So best wishes to you for continued success. And thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great to chat with you. You can learn more about Stephanie O'Dell and her agency at her website, celebratethegray.com. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The Endgame, at theendgame.substack.com. I'm Don Auction, wishing you all the best in aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I hope you'll join us for future programs here at The Endgame.